Hello and welcome. You're listening to Connected and Ready, an ongoing conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed, brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Gemma Milne. I'm a technology journalist and author, and I'm going to be exploring trends around how companies are adapting to a disrupted world and preparing for tomorrow. We're going to speak to the innovators who are bringing products, operations and people together in new ways. Education has seen extraordinary change in 2020. So for this episode, I'm chatting to Vicky Phillips, Executive Vice President and Chief Education Officer at National Geographic, about how the education experience has been transformed this year. We talk about how Nat Geo have been supporting educators, parents and guardians and young people through this new normal, what lessons can be learned to inform the future of accessible, innovative and inclusive education, and how we can all empower youth through education to help solve the biggest challenges we're facing today. Vicky, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I wonder if you could start by giving us a little bit of an introduction to yourself and what you get up to at NatGeo. Thank you, Jim. My role at National Geographic as the chief education officer is a very exciting part of my lifelong journey in education. You know, I was five when I first received a chalkboard, lined up my dolls and bears and started teaching school. So you could say I've been <laughs> in education ever since. <laughs> and, and I grew up in this poor, very rural community that was um, very rich in how people took care of each other. And I learned early the transformative power of learning. And that's sort of been a guiding force in my life. It was through books from the library and my friends' magazines like National Geographic that I got to experience the world beyond the small farm that I grew up on. And I visited all those magical places and experienced the mysteries of the world, like the wildebeest migration of the Serengeti. Um, the words of those authors just ignited my imagination and fueled my curiosity. But I often think how much more powerful that learning experience would have been if I'd witnessed the awe of more than a million wildebeest migrate in search of grain ripened by the sun and um, through VR. And creating those kinds of learning experiences is just one of the cool things I get to do at National Geographic as the chief education officer. My team and I spent last year developing a new ambitious global education strategy to deliver on our mission at NatGeo. And it's been a really terrific and fun journey so far. I absolutely love your energy, Vicky. You're clearly extremely passionate about what you do. Um, we're going to talk about some of the amazing new technology and various different programs that National Geographic have been doing. Um, but first, I want to talk about the here and the now, because obviously education has been hugely impacted in 2020. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that's impacted what you've been doing at National Geographic and how National Geographic have been able to play a role in this, uh, I guess, change in education we're all going through? Well, part of our approach during this time has been to remain very flexible about what teachers need, and listening to them has been a really core part of our work. So they told us early on how much they miss their students and how worried they are for their students and their families, not just for learning loss, but for the other kinds of services the kids get at school. The second thing we heard was how overwhelming it was to just teach remotely. It's new to so many teachers and technology and support can be scarce. And teachers were asked to stand up virtual classrooms virtually overnight and adapt those in-person approaches very quickly to remote learning. 
The third thing they told us is that they need access to high quality remote learning resources and that all of these large resource banks that were hitting their desk just was hard to navigate through. So we decided that we would do a number of things to support them. One, we offered up collections of resources. We have a very large resource library that's free to educators. It has about 4,400 um, curricular pieces in it. But in order to help those pieces be more accessible and conducive to learning at home, we actually curated collections and posted those up on a Learn at Home site. The second thing we did is we have all of these amazing explorers at National Geographic. They're part of our hallmark. We've been doing Explorer Classroom periodically, where an explorer would drop into a classroom by video or sometimes in person and have a conversation with children. But what we decided to do was to offer it daily, offer it virtually, and our explorers immediately signed up. So every day we offered an Explorer Classroom for different grade and age bands and some in Spanish. Based on all of that, we created a summer learning series to keep those young minds engaged over the summer. And each week we created a virtual trip to a specific part of the globe to explore the geographic features, the population, the culture, the biodiversity, the history. And we paired that with our explorers from those places and did Explorer Classroom again. And um, all of that gave us additional good information on what teachers needed and how to continue to support them. So this fall, as we head back into school, either remote or in-person or some hybrid, we are expanding our collections of resources. We've created a toolkit for educators where they can actually share their resources with each other. And we are trying to continue to support them in these environments. And one thing that's been incredibly important in all this is that we've worked to go beyond practical solutions. You know, educators are on the front lines of this pandemic, and it's a really hard place to be. And in March, one of our education fellows, Dwayne Reed, put a post on Twitter that said something about, during these times, remember that teachers are the piece that holds so much together. During war, pandemics, natural disasters, and everything else, they have needed to continue their job of uh, loving and helping students grow. And so he said, we've got this and created a hashtag called Teacher Strong. And that one tweet created a whole community of educators supporting each other. So that whole combination of resources coupled with a community in which they can find support and ideas and lean on each other for support has made a lot of difference to teachers out there. And at National Geographic, we've been honored to contribute to that. I think um, what's interesting about this year is there's been various different stages, obviously, of this pandemic and of, you know, just the way that the time moves forward, right? So it was very reactive to begin with, this kind of, okay, how do we carry on teaching kids are at home? We aren't set up for this. Then into summer, where you weren't having normal classes anyway, because it was the holidays and having to think about entertaining children as opposed to educating, although in different ways. And now we're moving into a new term where we're also having discussions about, well, actually, where can remote be good and better, regardless of whether we're going through a pandemic? So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the current phase where it's now about 
I don't know, the phrase that keeps getting used is, you know, build back better. How can we build education back better based on the learning over the last couple of months? Well, I think one thing that is great is that teachers really are pioneering new ways of teaching and connecting with their students, and they are learning a lot. And part of what they're telling us is they will not want to go back to the old ways of doing business, that they will want to carry forward some of what they've done. And obviously, they're learning how to make better use of digital tools that are out there and available to them. And as we've watched teachers, one of the things that we believe is very powerful for them, and particularly in hybrid environments, is project-based learning. You know, where kids are looking at a driving question, they're researching it both independently and with their peers. They're also getting content instruction from their teacher and they're creating projects, things that really they're interested in that ignite their, their passions. So we actually think that some Instructional strategies like project-based learning, which have been so hard to do in the normal course of how schools have been organized and class schedules and, you know, curriculum that hasn't always been conducive to that is going to grow, for example, as one methodology that teachers carry forward, among many other things that they are thinking through and pioneering right now. So you spoke about teachers having to adopt new technologies, new ways of working What have been some of the biggest hurdles with this new adoption that's been coming in? Well, definitely one hurdle is the access to technology and to appropriate broadband around the world. So teachers are having to figure out, depending on where they are, um, tech-enabled solutions and low-tech-enabled solutions. And they're also having to just think very differently about Uh, what learning looks like in this new mode. So one example I'd give you is that um, one educator, Kim Young, told us how overwhelmed she was when she first learned her school would be shifting to online learning last spring. And she said she kept thinking, how do I do exactly what I was doing in the face-to-face classroom? How do I transfer the exact skills and experiences? But then she said when she paused and she took a breath, she realized she didn't have to do it exactly the same way So she distilled it down to three main goals, provide connection, build community, and fuel curiosity. So Kim says when she uses those three goals as a guide, it shifted her thinking, and she began um, focusing on different and innovative ways to foster learning. As she says, a crisis has the tendency to shake out what is important. And I think that's what's happening with teachers, whether it's shaking out the digital resources that actually work for them, or it's shaking out the ways in which they can connect with kids and the ways in which they can use new technologies to fuel curiosity and to mitigate that learning loss. But the biggest hurdles, I think, have been their own professional learning because they not all of them knew how to work in a remote environment, like Kim trying to figure it out quickly, and the sort of access to devices and technology that really works for all kids. I love that. You mentioned a lot about the teachers. It seems like for National Geographic, the teachers very much come first. I mean, if, if not the children, it's, the, it's making sure that the teachers are well equipped and, and well taken care of. What sort of problems were they having before the pandemic hit anyway that National Geographic was able to help them with? And how have you been able to kind of go on the journey with the teachers to, to keep kind of making these um, new things available and help them 
with their strategy moving forward? Well, teachers are very central to us. Um, this new strategy that we've developed actually is about young people, but it's young people and the educators who reach them. And we believe that young people and the educators who reach them are actually key to solving some of the planet's most pressing problems. And I think there are several things that um, educators have faced over the last years in more traditional ways that we need to think about differently now. I mean, what I've observed over the years, for example, is that new technologies are often ubiquitous in other fields before they reach the classroom door. And many ed tech solutions do not even consult teachers as they design them, as they're in the development process. And that often results in educational solutions, digital and non-digital, that educators neither want nor need and that don't fulfill the needs of their learners. So they don't embrace them and use them as effectively. Another challenge is educators' own learning. Professional development has often been one size fits all, and we know that just doesn't work, that educators um, encourage students to have agency and they should have agency over their own learning as well. And the experts that other teachers trust most are other educators. And then again, we touched on this a moment ago, the traditional ways of organizing schools and class schedules and curriculum has not always been conducive to the kinds of learning and curiosity and creativity that we would say constitutes an explorer's mindset for young people. And it's been harder for teachers to implement inside their kind of traditional frames the inquiry-based and project-based learning that we know helps students develop those critical thinking, collaboration, and other kinds of skills that are so important and helps them remain curious about the world. What's the role of technology in all this? Because obviously you mentioned, I mean, National Geographic has so many resources and a huge archive and history of not only just educational um, resources, but documentaries and photographs and ideas and all sorts. How can technology, I guess, bring all that to life, but also enhance the educational element of what you're able to bring to teachers and to students? So technology certainly plays an important role right now, and digital resources in this time of COVID are very essential. While we also need to remember that technology, devices, and internet is not as accessible to all students. So we have to think about non-technology solutions too. But I'm incredibly excited about new technologies that are emerging. And at National Geographic, we're working hard to be on the forefront of that. And our explorers really help us do so. Uh, we are using AR and VR and 360 video and putting all of our content on mobile technology so that it's more accessible, but really leaning into those forward-thinking technologies. Uh, two things I'm particularly excited about. We've been working with one of our explorers on a remote learning classroom where kids from around the world can come into the remote learning site, actually look at a map together or, or work on a project together. They can speak in their own language and it translates quickly so that they understand each other. And it just has amazing implications for the future. 
The other thing we're very excited about is we're working on an interactive globe because we actually believe that kids' understanding of the world and geography and the ability to see connections and patterns is very important. And this globe actually allows kids to query it, to ask it questions, alters its appearance based on what they're asking, and actually tells them what they're seeing. So we are loving leaning into technology. One of our explorers, um, you know, has done VR curriculum for us where kids can swim with the manta rays, or they can go up Mount Everest with the recent expedition. So those things are coming. And one of the things we want to do as National Geographic is to help make what is ubiquitous in other fields more accessible and affordable in education as we go forward. But, you know, one thing that we always also keep in mind, because we are so tuned into educators, is that there's also no substitute for that bond between teachers and kids. And the magic of learning happens when that bond is really strong. So while we are big fans of technology and we are leaning in and all of our work is predominantly digital, the other thing that we try to keep in mind is what technology can't do. So technology alone can't teach students to listen, to persuade, to argue, to inspire. It can't teach learners to cultivate empathy or diffuse anger or read emotions or connect with the earth or other things. These skills are learned through relationships and, you know, teachers working with students. So we believe that technology can be a great accelerator of gains especially now, as long as it's not elevated as the single magic bullet. One other thing that I would mention is that we're also helping kids get out into nature using their technology. So it actually sounds kind of the opposite of what you might think, right? We want kids not to be on their devices so much, but yet those devices through applications like Seek and iNaturalist can help them become citizen scientists and actually contribute to what our explorers and others are doing. So great opportunities for technology to be a powerful part of kids' learning experience, even once we're not 100% remote. Microsoft Power Apps gives educators the tools they need to stay better connected with their students and enable a more personalized learning experience. Through low-code app development, educators of all technical skill levels are able to build professional apps that run on mobile and web without writing a single line of code. By extending the power of app development to the classroom, Power Apps enables educators to innovate and better meet the unique needs of each student. See how one school district is leading the way by following the link in the episode description. You mentioned virtual reality, mixed reality, 360 video, um, loads of really interesting technologies that you guys are experimenting with and indeed already using um, in learning environments. What other digital tools have been sort of integral to this remote learning experience right now to kind of keep the momentum up? Well, I think one thing that is very important is making sure that whatever we're designing works on mobile technology because that is the technology that is most accessible to young people around the world. And then that, it, you know, that we continue to evolve technologies like AR, VR, and other opportunities in ways that become cost-effective 
in education. And that just has not always been the case. Education is sometimes the last to have those opportunities. But we have explorers that are experimenting, for example, with holographic technology. Uh, We have explorers that are doing base fundamental critter cams and putting them on animals and kids can see the video. So, you know, we think that the full array of resources, which includes infographics and amazing photographs and video and content, that any way that we can ignite students' curiosity, fuel their wonder about the world and help them become solution seekers that have an explorer's mindset, that we should try to use all of those things because different things ignite kids' learning. I want to talk about another element of being remote and learning from home. The relationship between the teacher and the child is, of course, extraordinarily important. But when kids are working from home, the parents also play a huge role, even just making sure the kid's online to speak to the teacher um, and in an environment that they can learn and, and not just learn with their teacher, but continue learning in that environment. What have you guys been doing at National Geographic to try and encourage children and help and give resources to the parents in this quite challenging learning environment for many? Well, the lines are certainly blurred right now and educators are parents and parents are educators. And the tools and resources that we've created and are continuing to create are designed to be implemented by parents and caregivers as well as educators. As I said earlier, we tried to curate uh, resources out of our resource library that are doable at home, with materials and stuff that are easily accessible. Our curriculum materials are free and accessible to everyone. They include step-by-step instruction to engage learners and help them cultivate that critical thinking, problem-solving, communication, and leadership skills that we think are important. And we've tried to create some resources where parents and educators can get kids started and then give them space to engage independently because we know that That's especially helpful when parents need to turn their attention to their own work or to another child at a different grade level. And we've gotten considerable favorable feedback about that. Coming in early fall is a family toolkit, actually helping families walk through how to best implement Nat Geo resources with the youngsters, you know, in their lives. But we have as much empathy for parents right now as we have for educators, both of whom are just facing such extraordinary challenge right now. I want to look forward and think about the education system as a whole and the changes that it will continue to go through. Of course, what's been happening over the last um, six months or, or however long it's been now has been hugely detrimental to many people, but there's always lessons to be learned and there's always, you know, always a silver lining somehow. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about some of the perhaps positive things that this shift in the way we do education has resulted in, you know, is are there lessons that can be learned? Are there things that have been done better that we can take forward and implement, as you say, whether it's remote or in person or other? We should definitely be listening to the people on the front lines, which are teachers, right? They are the ones that are actually experiencing this and every day figuring out how to connect with their students in ways that, you know, are new and different and still maintain that bond. Um, But as I think about the education system going forward, I think about this book that the 
Brookings Institute authored in 2018 called Leapfrogging Inequality, Rethinking Education to Help People Thrive. And they describe this concept of how education innovations could rapidly accelerate our leapfrog progress in education. And I think the pandemic has created a unique disruption to education right now, a time of intensive, rapid, real-time innovation that can provide the underlying enabling conditions for us to do that, to take a big leap forward and enact some lasting change in the system so that this new normal, as we go back in, um, stays, has some stickiness and staying power. And we're really inspired by what we're seeing from teachers right now, so much so that we've actually created a fund for educators to spur their design thinking and to have them develop instructional resources that help each other teach in remote and hybrid learning environments. And we're looking forward to seeing the results. And I think if we think about this in a as a big leap forward, it's hard to hop backwards, right? I don't think going back is the same or even possible. I think the doors of innovation have been forced open. It's inspiring to see what's already coming out of them. And I think we as organizations and others who care deeply about education need to do all we can to listen, to learn, and to help make sure that we continue on this forward, more innovative, rapid iteration path than the status quo of the past. So you mentioned this incredible sounding fund for teachers for them to explore and build and try out new learning resources. I wonder if you could talk through some of the problems that they are trying to solve and perhaps some of the solutions that they're putting forward. So we've just launched this COVID remote learning emergency fund for educators in which we're giving individual educators funds to be able to design new materials that work in a remote or hybrid learning environment or adapt materials. So for example, we have some fantastic project-based learning units in our resource library. They are predominantly aimed at middle school. Uh, Teachers can adapt those to elementary or high school. And teachers can also use this fund to think about how they might use geography and science and other disciplines to teach social justice or environmental justice or, you know, the critical issues of the day, like infectious diseases in the pandemic. So we gave them some ideas to start with, but we are looking forward since we just launched the fund to see what comes in from them. Because one thing we know about educators is they are resilient and innovative and come up with things that are quite powerful when it comes to their commitment to their students. And are you going to be able to share the resources with everyone else once they've they've built these? We will. One of the criterias in the fund is that you have to design something that works for you, but also works for other teachers in other locations. And our goal is to post those up on our site and make those free and available to other teachers, just like our um, resource library is. It's certainly, I think, the shift in mindset of we can do things differently when push comes to shove is something that I hope we're able to keep holding on to as we move forward, for sure. I want to talk about the power of youth because I know that this is something you're you know, really passionate about. You mentioned this idea of explorers and empowering young people to explore and be curious. What does that mean? How do we empower youth through education? 
I'm so glad you asked this question because our new global education strategy, as I said, is anchored around youth and the educators who can reach them because we really do believe they can help solve some of the urgent problems of the day. And we've been undertaking considerable research around the world's young people in order to understand them and listen to them as deeply as we understand educators. And they are quite a powerful force for change. You know, increasingly young people are seeing themselves as global citizens first and a citizen of their country second. And that has all kinds of implications for how they are moving together as a collective. They also are kind of tired of movements that just admire the problem and don't lead to solutions. So they are definitely solution seekers. And we are seeing these young leaders on the forefront of some of the most complex and urgent issues our planet faces and finding and working on solutions that are related. You know, we have affectionately started to call them Generation Geo. Gen Geo is how we refer to this community of diverse young people around the world that are so committed to seeking solutions and who are growing in number and momentum. And at Nat Geo, we're doing a number of things to help. So one is we're creating a cohort of young explorers now that are between the ages of 15 and 25. We just funded 22 of those around the world. A few weeks ago, they're a diverse group working on a whole array of issues. They are, you know, conservationists and scientists and storytellers and geographers. And for example, Lisa Goldberg is just 18 years old, but she's a research assistant at NASA. And she works with the Google Earth team to bring satellite imagery analysis to classrooms around the globe. So we are funding people like Lisa and others and helping them cultivate a large network. In fact, our goals in this new strategy is to cultivate empathy for the earth among 100 million young people over this decade and to raise 5 million of those up as young leaders with a collective voice who are seeking solutions and embarking on this kind of new exploration about pressing issues. As one of our young explorers said so eloquently, young people are the earth's most untapped resource for hope. So in the same way that we want to empower and support educators, we are also working to empower and support these young people. We're creating content for them. We are connecting them with each other. We are elevating their voices and their work and showcasing them as a collective force and architects of the change that our planet needs. I love that. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about then organizations, companies, groups, whatever, that are not necessarily directly in the education space and already aware of this potential um, and, of course, all the challenges that we've been seeing in education over the past year. What's other people's role in education and society and empowering young people, right? Because it's not just the teachers, it's not just the ed tech startups, it's not just organizations like yourself that have a responsibility and a role when it comes to educating young people. So how can this be a sort of a mutually beneficial relationship as opposed to just the kids are over there being educated and we'll leave them to it until we want to hire them later on or whatever it is? Yeah, well, I think many of these young people are working to create solutions and opportunities in their communities and that their communities can surround them. You know, I think about Chris, who's one of our young explorers, who's 
20 years old and founded an organization called Kinston Teens. During the pandemic, he's organized these drive-through crisis relief giveaways and helped more than 4,000 families in his North Carolina community, helping them with food and cleaning supplies and other items. There are young people like Chris and Lisa around the world who are engaged in local solutions. And I think the community as a whole can surround them and support their efforts because you're right. It isn't just the educators who reach these young people. It's parents and families. It's business and corporations. It's community organizations of all kinds. And we've seen so many examples of young people who are out there helping with everything from food to medical supplies. And that kind of work among young people is not going to stop over. They are intent on finding solutions to some of the planet's most pressing problems, and we should be helping them, um, all of us as adults, along the way, funding their organizations, supporting their work, lifting their voices, drawing attention to them, uh, giving them encouragement. Love that. I want to, um, thinking about organizations outside of the of the education sphere uh, for a minute longer, what can we all learn from this transformation of the education experience? You know, where can other organizations begin to rethink the way things have been done before, perhaps inspired by this crazy, innovative time that has been going on in 2020 in education? You know, there's a Japanese concept I love around collaboration called Kiritsu, and it's a system, a series, or a group of organizations with unique offerings. So, you know, one organization does one kind of work, another organization does another kind of work, but they have a collective interlocking goals and bringing together uncommon allies for thought partnership, for problem solving, I think would go a long way to leveraging the strengths of organizations around the country and the power to help surround and support this new educational change and have it continue to move forward. I think there are organizations across the world that have brilliant minds at work. I mean, we see it every single day in our explorers who are all different and come at the work different, but who as a collective have the power to help shift, you know, what happens in the world. I think young people and the education system has that power too. And if we can band together around interlocking goals help education take this leap forward, continue to innovate, you know, continue to iterate on what we're learning, that would be a great stride. What a wonderful note to end on. Um, Vicky, thank you so much for your passion and for sharing with us so many different, amazing, hopeful ideas and solutions moving forward. Hey, I'm an optimist at heart. I think some of this learning these things now just and taking them forward just makes good sense. And I have great hope for the new normal that can emerge. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find out more about Vicky's work and indeed some of the broader themes we discussed today in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please do take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. It really helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to hit subscribe and tune in next time to continue our conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed. 
Learn how Microsoft Power Apps give educators of all technical skill levels the tools they need to build professional apps that run on mobile and web without writing a single line of code. See how one school district is leading the way by following the link in the episode description.